Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. You have made it to the end of the week. It is Friday, February 26, and today a briefing with the former boss of Facebook Australia. Uh, Now that he's out of the company, he's got some strong criticism of Zuckerberg's decision to pull Australian news from the platform last week. Yeah, we've become dependent on Facebook, and with great you know, power comes great responsibility. But here, I think that Facebook's been pretty irresponsible. And I think Australians really need to reflect on that. Yeah, you'll also get his take on who won the game of chicken between Facebook and the Australian government. First, we'll get to the news of the day with someone you haven't heard before on The Briefing. Her name is Katrina Blowers. Um, she's done some amazing work in her career. If you're in Brisbane, uh, you'll see her reading the news and reporting on Channel 7 News. But I prefer to think of her as American Ross's old newsreader. Hello, Katrina. <laughs> that is a blast from the past <laughs> reference. Hey, Tom. Hey, um, how's the vibe in Brisbane right now after yesterday's big news about the Olympics? You know, we are so excited because, of course, we have all these venues left over from the Commonwealth Games and that mm. was such a party vibe when that happened. So let's hope the party can continue over the next couple of decades. Yeah, amazing. All right, let's get into the big stories of the day, actually starting with Facebook. Well, the blackout is over. News is now officially back on Facebook after it was sensationally blocked last Thursday. Yeah, the government's amended bargaining code passed Parliament yesterday and Facebook have put up a blog post about the whole saga, admitting that it erred on the side of over-enforcement to protest the new laws. Yeah, that post was pretty pointed and it also blames a fundamental misunderstanding of the relationship between Facebook and publishers for the stout. It states that Facebook, in fact, contributed more than $400 million worth of clicks to new sites last year. Yeah, what I found funny about that statement, Katrina, was that they said the same thing last week, but then they still backflipped after that. So it's been very funny to see how Facebook have have argued their point here. And it's going to be interesting to see the reputational hit that Facebook Mm. will take away from this. I read some figures yesterday that uh, 56% of people thought that Facebook's news media ban was unjustified and only 19% of Australians say that they now trust Facebook. Yeah, I can see how it would definitely damage the trust when you can't predict what someone does In any relationship, it always erodes trust. Mm, So we'll see how many people still go to Facebook as their primary source of news from now on. Yeah, and a staggering one in eight federal political staffers say they've been sexually harassed or assaulted in the last year. Gosh, isn't this just grim? This is according to a survey of almost 100 workers late last year. That survey also found that more than half had seen bullying and harassment and two in five, nearly half, had experienced it. Yeah, alarming, alarming stats there. Um, The results support concerns about workplace culture in Parliament This, of course, is all in the spotlight because of the alleged rape of Brittany Higgins, the Liberal staffer. And yesterday, Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton defended his decision not to tell the Prime Minister about that incident before it became public. I took a decision that I wasn't going to disclose that uh, to the Prime Minister. I think that was the right decision. When the media inquiries came in, uh, we provided information not to uh, his office about the detail. I I wasn't provided with the she said, he said details. 
And another aspect to this, which uh, we reported last night on 7 News, uh, tempers really boiled over in Parliament yesterday with Green Senator Larissa Waters accusing Peter Dutton of being a rape apologist. Mm. Now, for those who don't know, Peter Dutton used to be a sex crimes police officer who used to lock up dozens of rapists before he entered Parliament. He has called that statement disgraceful and defamatory. Clearly fired him up there. I think people took issue with his language there, calling this a he said, she said situation. Um, As he was making that argument, uh, it was really interesting to see that the AFP, uh, the AFP commissioner, Rhys Kershaw, wrote a letter to the Prime Minister uh, warning that any allegations of criminal conduct, including sexual misconduct, should be reported without delay. Whereas, you know, Peter Dutton was being put under the spotlight for hanging on to this information, not telling the Prime Minister straight away. So Scott Morrison actually asked for that letter to be circulated among MPs and senators. Do you think Peter Dutton will actually sue her? Look, it's it's yet to be seen, but the fact that he's um, sent out such a, a broad shot by calling it defamatory, I think, sends a massive warning for that kind of language to be used in the future. Well, a company training staff for the vaccine rollout could be dumped from the program after this week's massive Brisbane aged care home vaccine bungle. Deputy Chief Medical Officer Professor Michael Kidd, he's investigating how the two elderly residents got four times the recommended dose of the Pfizer jab. He's already laying blame. The company responsible for the rollout of the vaccine in residential aged care facilities in Queensland... Healthcare Australia, HCA, is clearly at fault here. Two serious breaches have occurred. The company did not meet its requirements under its contract with the Australian Government Department of Health. That's pretty black and white language there. Yesterday, the CEO of Healthcare Australia stepped down pending an internal investigation, which will be pretty interesting to find out the results of that. The company was found to have misled the government about that doctor's qualifications. He hadn't completed his training. Yeah, it's turning into a bit of a mess. A third health provider's being brought in to help with the rollout, which is now behind schedule already in week one. And obviously confidence is so important here, Katrina. But I think we can take heart that this kind of uh, a mess up has happened so early on. So there's going to be unbelievable scrutiny going forward, Mm. don't you think? I think what gives me confidence about this one is that only two people ended up with this larger dose. They sorted it out straight away. Falling behind though on the rollout in week one, I'd say that's a little more concerning. Yes, given that we were late or, or um, mm. <laughs> on track, according to whoever you listen to. <laughs> yeah, two months after they started in other Western countries, but here we are. Well, Qantas CEO Alan Joyce says they'll relaunch international flights in October. Woohoo! Yes. I'm so excited to travel again <laughs> when the vaccine rollout finishes. Yeah, and of course, I mean, that will all depend on the story we we're just talking about, which is the vaccine rollout all going to plan. But I think people, you know, even if Alan Joyce had said January, people just want some certainty on when their lives can get back to normal. And international travel is the one big outstanding part of that still to come. Qantas did post a $1 billion loss yesterday, and there are calls for JobKeeper to be extended in that industry at least. And for staff too, something like 7,000 staff at Qantas are attached to that international arm, so they'll be wanting job certainty. And speaking of going overseas, when we finally can, we might have a little bit more purchasing power, Tom. The Australian dollar is riding high. I haven't seen it this high for ages, cracking 80 US cents for the first time in three years. Yeah, so it's our good economic bounce back from COVID and America's struggle that's a big part of this. 
Uh, it's also about expectations around interest rates. Um, but it was only at 55 cents mid last year. Well, economists say that if we keep going as we are, it could even hit 85 cents over the next 12 months. Yeah, so that's great news for people wanting to go overseas and spend money. Um, you know, we'll get more for our dollar. But it is bad news for Aussie exporters. It means that their goods become more expensive to their clients overseas. So it's always um, pros and cons with a, a rising dollar. Katrina, great to have you on the briefing for the first time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Good times. All right, let's get into the Facebook debate. So, who won the game of chicken? Who blinked? Was it Zuckerberg or was it Frydenberg? You probably recognise the first name. If you don't recognise the second name, that's the Australian treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. And who won the game of chicken is a big question we're asking in the fallout of the big Facebook news backflip. Facebook has hit the nuclear button. With a very heavy heart, we've had to restrict news in Australia. Behaving like North Korea. Outrageous and unacceptable. Facebook has refriended Australia. Who blinked first? Who do you think blinked first? It depends on who you ask. All right, so now that Facebook news is coming back after just one week and the government's laws with their new compromises have been passed in Parliament, we can get a better idea of who actually came off best in this massive stoush that the whole world was watching. We were all watching it too because our Facebook experience changed dramatically, if you still use it, that is. We're bringing you an interview now with the former head of Facebook Australia. Stephen Sheila was the head of Facebook Australia New Zealand between 2013 and 2017. So those were the years when their share of Australia's ad revenue was exploding. Now, Stephen, you feel Facebook's actions show they don't really care about Australia. Yeah, I think in this instance, you're seeing the big chessboard that uh, that Mark Zuckerberg plays, which is 2 billion people around, all around the world. Australia has you know, 25 million people, 13 million Facebook users or so. And it just shows as big as you know 13 million people are in the scheme of things, it, it really doesn't matter to Mark. He was happy to you know, flick off news. And you know, we've come to depend on Facebook and with great you know, power comes great responsibility. But here I think that Facebook's been pretty irresponsible. And I think Australians really need to reflect on that. Yeah, that's quite a big call for someone who helped build their business. You're saying they're irresponsible. That was a business you helped build here in Australia. I'm proud of what we did at Facebook. I think Facebook does a lot of good things in the world. And I think the world is a net better place because Facebook exists. But the negative externalities, the the, the, the ill effects of social media and the internet more generally are definitely becoming, in the past few years, um, issues we need to tackle. And we can't leave it to the platforms alone to figure it out. Digital advertising now makes up around about two-thirds of Australia's $15 billion market. Traditional ads on TV, radio, newspapers have been going down while digital goes up massively. Of that digital spend, uh, 50% goes to Google, nearly 30% goes to Facebook now. So you're at the helm for a lot of that growth. You can probably take a lot of the credit for it. How did Facebook and Google get to this place where they get 80% of digital ad revenue in Australia? Well, it's pretty simple. On the one hand, it's, it's data. Right. It's the ability to take um, the contents and be it advertising content or cat videos and to use data to be able to target that content at, at, at people who want to see it. And so Google mainly does that through things called search where you go and you type something into search and Google figures out what is it you want to see based on what you've typed. And Google hoovers up a lot of other data and uses that to supplement search. And they do things called display as well, trying to show ads that are relevant no, where, no matter where you are on the Internet. And then Facebook uses data you know, both around the internet, but also particularly on the Facebook platform to keep you in your newsfeed and also to serve you 
target relevant ads. And, you know, being being able to see who you're talking to as an advertiser and know uh, lots of things about them and being almost able to read their mind, that that is the holy grail for advertising. So as you say, given that this is a totally brand new innovation, they obviously deserve to be rewarded for that. Isn't this just capitalism? Isn't that how business is supposed to work? It is how business is supposed to work. And I think I, I commend uh, big tech, Facebook, Google, Amazon, others, you know, for building, um, you know, companies in this new economy. And, and I'm proud of the work that I did there. But I think the the thing that's shifting, though, is a number of things are shifting. One is simply the sheer scale of the platforms and their ability to kind of blot out the sun of other industries and other competitors. That's something we, we just have to keep in mind. That's not about being good or bad. It just means about uh, undue market power. So that's one of the things that a lot of regulators are looking at. Another issue is, of course, around um, data and privacy. You know, we we all are used to the idea that I walk into a shop and I, hand, I pull out $10 and I buy a product for $10 and then I walk out of the shop. And that's the exchange. Well, now you, you don't walk into Facebook and hand them $10 and they give you Facebook. You get it for free, quote unquote. But it's not for free. You're actually paying with your data. And so there's another currency we're all paying, which is data. Now, Facebook or Google didn't do anything illegal when they started, you know, assembling people's data. But but now I think we're, we're in a new world where we need to understand, well, actually, my data is worth something and I have certain rights over that data. And Facebook and Google need to then start to respect those rights. And I think that's just the new world that we're entering now. But why does that mean they have to share their revenue if they haven't done anything illegal? You are questioning whether it's responsible, particularly the sort of way they've played this political situation. But why should they share that revenue for this tech innovation? Yeah. Look, Facebook and Google uh, hoover up free content and then they they slice and dice that content and then present it to audiences on the other side, eyeballs on the other side. Now, that's fine, right? And there's nothing illegal or evil or bad about that. One negative externality is around the free press and journalism. For good or bad, and there were a lot of mistakes that traditional media have made um, that have led to their own downfall, but a lot of their problems do stem from the fact that Facebook and Google slice and dice this content serve it up to eyeballs, and they're sitting in the middle targeting the ads. And therefore, the, the rivers of gold that used to fund journalism and fund the media, which is from classified advertising, has dried up. And so you have journalism and the media not having a good source of revenue. Now, you could simply say, well, that's just the way it goes. It's competition. See you later. And in most industries, that can be true. But in this particular industry, we need media. We need, uh, you know, facts. We need investigative journalism for democracy to function. So it's it's not just selling Tim Tams or or bananas or a new car. We need this for democracy. So it's an industry that's more important in some ways than almost any other industry, and it's one that's being hollowed out right now by big tech. Given what's played out in the last week with uh, Facebook pulling Aussie news content and then backflipping once the Australian government agreed to some amendments. Who do you think won this game of chicken? I don't think it really matters, right? Negotiations always have their, you know, toing and froing. And then eventually, you know, if two parties want to come to an agreement, they do. And they may say things along the way that, you know, that, that they didn't follow through on. So that's how negotiations go. Um, but I think both sides had to give a little bit at the end. I think Facebook is probably... Um, you know, if you think about where they started a couple, a few years ago, they were nowhere near, you know, paying significant dollars to media companies. That was not something they would even consider. And now here we are, they're signing deals worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars with media. So that's, they've come a long way and the government has helped facilitate that. I think the pressure the government has brought by the, by the threat of this legislation has actually brought Facebook and Google you know, very quickly in short order 
to the bargaining table. So those deals have been done. The government, on the other hand, I think has you know had to give a few concessions. They were pretty, you know, they've got a lot of smart people that tried to figure out what the regulation was, and then at the last minute they had to kind of change a few of those things. Yeah, well, that depends on how the media companies spend the money they get from the tech giants. Um, <laughs> Indeed, if, if it's on a new uh, new yacht or a new jet, well, that's probably not going to help. Well, or help just reality, reality TV rather than, you know, investigative <laughs> news journalism. So you worked for Mark Zuckerberg. You know him to some extent. What do you reckon was going on uh, when he had those conversations with our treasurer, Josh Frydenberg? How do you think that conversation went? <laughs> well, first, it's... Um, it's rare to get Mark on the phone, you know, six times over a weekend uh, for any world leader. So I think, uh, you know, good on Josh Reinberg for for getting Mark on the phone. What Mark's trying to do, I'm, I'm just speculating here, but I think we can all kind of see this, is he's playing a much bigger game. And that big game is, you know, across hundreds of countries around the world. And there's a few that are more significant than others in terms of examples. Australia is one of them. He's trying to forestall kind of control and uh, you know regulation and sort of an impinging of Facebook's ability to to do things in the world and Mark's ability to do things so on and that essentially is to grow and to you know to continue you know being the the kind of dominant force in the world of, of uh, social media and to an extent in the internet in the world and you know Mark's up against um, you know competitors in different countries um, you know and, and big companies like Google and Amazon and Alibaba I mean there's other uh, big players out there that Mark's got to keep ahead of. And so, you know, he's trying to forestall regulation and, and just kind of keep the, you know, keep the authorities off his back. Australia, small as it is, you know, suddenly became an important piece on that chessboard because, you know, it was popping up and proposing some pretty stern rules that would force Facebook to do things and to pay for content in a way that, you know, Facebook saw as unacceptable. So that's why Mark was uh, obviously on the phone frequently with the treasurer over the weekend. What would his personal style have been like in those conversations? Would he have been nice and polite? Would he have been aggressive? How would he have handled himself? In my experience, Mark, he's a very uh, polite, um, humble, uh, even, uh, you know, personally humble person when you when you meet him. He's he's not a he's not the kind of guy to, to dominate the conversation and talk over people. He's not that kind of leader. Uh, but I think Mark's in a He's in a position now that I think any of us would find potentially uh, corrupting, and I don't—I'm use that in the not the bad sense, but the idea that you know your moral compass I think changes, you know, depending on how high your altitude is, right? Mm. And like Facebook's so big that you know individuals now don't matter in the scheme of things. It's it's about millions and billions now, and I think it, Mark probably is flying in an altitude where. You know the, the concerns of even a country like Australia, oftentimes are just are just not important to him because you know, he's got a much bigger game to play. So, are they too big to fail, or does Zuckerberg live in constant fear that they'll be the next MySpace and they'll be swallowed up by maybe the next TikTok? I think Facebook in general, and probably Mark in, in particular, um, there is a uh, there's definitely a paranoia, probably healthy, sometimes unhealthy paranoia in Silicon Valley and in Facebook that and Mark. And the, and the culture of Facebook is very strong in this, which is never rest because others are coming to disrupt you. I think Facebook is a very – it's an urgent company that's trying to do a lot of big things quickly because they just see that uh, you know other competitors will come after them and they don't want to become the one that's uh, the roadkill. And um, even Facebook's head office in California is on an old campus of Sun Microsystems. And Sun used to be the biggest company in 
Silicon Valley, and, and Facebook's very aware that they're on an old Sun Microsystems mm. campus. That company <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. Um, so I think there is an urgency to what Mark wants to do. You know, if Facebook's mission is to connect everybody on Earth, there's seven, soon to be eight billion people on Earth, and only you know a couple billion of those are on Facebook. So they've still got a long way to go. And and Mark, uh, you know, has uh, you know big dreams to you know be a dominance and an influential player and platform in the world for decades to come. So that was Stephen Sheila, who ran Facebook Australia between 2013 and 17. Fascinating to get his insights on Mark Zuckerberg and hearing that he's a bit paranoid and also that it was quite amazing for the Aussie treasurer to get him on the phone. Clearly, we had Facebook a little bit rattled here. And what I'm taking from that in the big picture sense is that to get them to share any of their revenue with Australian companies is a win. All right, that is it for the briefing or at least the the weekday version because we have the weekend briefing coming up tomorrow with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who's on the show this week? Tom, this week I am chatting with Mark Fennell, who I suspect is best known to people as that movie guy on Triple J, but he hasn't actually been doing that for some time. He's the new host of Mastermind Australia and, of course, he's also one of the co-hosts of The Feed and used to appear next to Janfran every night. So I think you two could maybe trade some (laughs) war stories. Anyway, we will be talking movies, streaming services and the future of that industry. Yeah, well, he has some great insights on technology. Um, A very early adopter in the social media space. I've known Mark for a long time. Look forward to that, Jamila. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Briefing. I'll catch you on Monday. Listener.